Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an explanation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am Will Chase, joined tonight by PD and Elaine Shercliffe. What's going on, guys? Loving that one nothing life. Hockey's back, baby. Hockey's back. Hockey, hockey is back. So yeah, how about that? So it's the uh, the first <laughs> the first August win in franchise history, but more importantly. A 1-0 series lead on the Maple Leafs. I know that's going over well for the Toronto media and in Toronto right now. But uh, let's just go ahead and dive right on into that, PD. So what were your thoughts, reactions to Game 1? Yeah, that was that was a, an absolute defensive clinic. That was torts hockey through and through. You know, they came in and dictated that we are going to play Blue Jackets hockey. And they forced Toronto to play their game. And I think Toronto was playing, you know, Played better defensively than I thought they would. And I think they were maybe trying to make that point of emphasis. But I think it may have cost them somewhat offensively. Maybe it held their forwards back. But I don't think it mattered because the Jackets just did what they had to. They gave Toronto no room to operate. And the best, my favorite stat from last night is that late in the game, when they're, you know, put Matthews with Martyr and Tavares, for the final six minutes of the game, Toronto had no shots on goal. <laughs> That's just... That is just phenomenal. Beautiful. When they needed the goal most, uh, we just didn't even give them a look, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, Corpusalo, uh, you know, I think a lot of us maybe thought that Elvis was the better option, but Corby played great. You know, he made the most of his opportunity, so I guess he's the guy going forward. So that was really cool to see that, yeah, the first playoff shutout in franchise history was Jonas Corpusalo of all people, which I don't know that anyone would have expected <laughs> at any point prior to the game. I wasn't sure how Corpy would do. Um, I still felt like it was an even goalie match between Elvis and Corpy. I know Elvis had such a strong streak, but he's so new. You know, he hasn't been playing in the NHL for a year. So we don't really know what he's truly capable of. Um, but I would have been okay with him starting. I was okay with either of them because we finally the jackets finally have a goalie system where it's like oh either or that's fine the world's not gonna end like it's kind of nice but his confidence in net corpies allowed the defense to do their job away from the net his ability to quick clean crisp 
movements. It was phenomenal. And I was expecting that from the Mar from the sorry, not the Marleys, <laughs> the Maple Leafs. So used to covering the Marleys. Um, the Maple Leafs. And I didn't see that. And I was a little shocked. In the beginning, I was like, okay, they are assessing because that's what Keith does. He he assesses and he figures out what needs to be done. And every time they thought they had a lane open, David Savard was there. He just like threw his body into it. Um, and then with Elvis, he was still a gem to have on the bench. Like he was teaching on the bench. They showed a clip of him sitting next to Seth Jones, going over the iPad and showing him where the weakness could possibly be, where they need to tighten it up. And I just thought that was awesome. How many backup tendies sit there on the bench or even close to it and say, hey, 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 this is what we could do better. And it just proves that he understands the game, not just from the goaltender standpoint, but the defender standpoint. So, yeah, that that's a great point, Elaine. Um that's yeah, it's really cool to see that Elvis was doing that. And I feel like it's pretty close knit goalie room that, you know, they don't see it as a competition. I think they're there to support each other. I think a lot of credit goes to Manny legacy for, for, you know, sort of establishing what that room would be like, you know, I think they've, they've always been there for each other all season. Um, and I think, you know, even going forward, uh, you know, so I think we'll ride Corpy as long as he's playing well this postseason, And then, if you know we go into next season still with these two goalies, that's fine because we've seen a lot of good teams in this league be able to rotate goalies in the regular season. You know, then they ride one guy. You know, like Boston has done this, for example. Um, and I think that's a really great thing to have. And I think you know, if anything were to happen, God forbid, we know that hey, we've got another really good option on the bench. And I think the team has confidence in either guy. I also think that with as fantastic as the Jackets were. Every line, every pair defensively last night, uh, that it, it doesn't really matter who was in goal. I mean, Gorpy played great. Don't want to take anything away from that. But I think he got so much. He didn't have to do too much to steal that game because there were so few quality shots allowed. And it was just the defensive presence. Everyone was in exactly the right place. They were just getting bodies on bodies, and it's and I heard Cam talk about this. It's not just about like laying crushing hits. It's just about they they practice in camp, like being in the right place, just getting in the way, getting their bodies in the way, getting their sticks in the way. The active right. sticks were all over the place oh, there. Yeah. So Toronto had so much trouble completing passes. Right, and they weren't sawing. They weren't sawing down people's sticks. Like the jackets were. Their sticks were all over the place, but they were in, like, the right place. They weren't taking those high-sticking penalties like they always do. I love how clean of a game it was. There were so few whistles. You had minutes at a time of uninterrupted hockey, which is my favorite kind of hockey to watch. And I love when the postseason's like that, when it's just back and forth, up yes. and out. So people, some people are saying, like, oh, it was a boring game. I don't think that was a boring game. It wasn't boring. I think it was, de- yeah. it was oh, defensive it was, clinic. It was, it was high-paced, so back and forth. That, that, was, that is what hockey should be. Yeah, the uh, the first period was kind of going, I thought, pretty, you know, it was moving. Uh, second period was moving, and then it started picking up. Toronto started pushing towards the end of the second. Corpus Allo was making saves when he had to, but the defense just did its thing the entire game. The high-depth chances were even. The Jackets out-edged them in overall chances. But uh, if I don't think this will happen, but let's just say Toronto scoring just shows up tomorrow. Let's say they win 4-2, to 4-1. to one. Do you go to Elvis for Game 3 then? 
I think, yeah, I mean, you have to at that point. But the thing about Elvis, too, is, you know, we ride Corpy as long as we can because Elvis is the better one to come off the bench. He's better all around. He can come up off the bench and shake off that rust within a, like, within, like, two minutes. Corpy can't. He can't sit. He just can't. I mean, we saw it in Cleveland. I saw it in Cleveland. We saw it when he was backing up Bob. When he came in, it was like, oh, no, I'm going in. I'm not prepared. But Elvis is like, okay, I'm mentally there. Let's do it. So if he lets in like even three goals in a period, they have to put Elvis in because he will turn that game around. So in my mind, I don't think they would lose four to one. Yeah, I don't either. Because they would just put Elvis in and he would turn the whole thing around. Even if Corpy's playing a good game, sometimes you have to pull the goalie to change the energy on the ice. Because you can't always just like staple one of your forwards or defenders to the bench. The biggest message you can send is taking out your goalie. Because if you're a defender and they're taking out the goalie and you know that those are your fault, you're going to play differently, a lot differently. You would hope. Another thing to consider that they might do if if the series goes to four games, game four is a back-to-back with game three. Yeah. So... No matter what happens in game three, like a typical back to back, it might behoove yeah. the Jacks just go ahead yeah. and put the other goalie in for game four just because he'll be rested. Yeah. You know, now, you know, may, rust might be a factor there, yeah. but that might be something to consider. Uh, and that would be a luxury that Toronto would not have in that situation. Or they could have balls as big as the walls and like just throw in Kibby and be like, here you go, Kibby. Here's <laughs> your chance. YOLO. <laughs> you know, if they know that they're not going to be able to shut it down that fast. But also, Kid Lennox has played against a lot of those guys on Toronto because a lot of those guys sure. were Marlies. And so to you can't negate the fact that he knows what's going on that ice. Same thing with some of the guys that are up right now. You can't take away from the fact that they have seen that system because just like the Jackets, Toronto plays the same system. Mm-hmm. So if you played in the Monsters and you played for the Marlies, you're seeing the same thing. Especially since Keith went up halfway through, like he went up this season, right? Or yeah, yeah, in December. Right. So he, they already know what to expect because they've seen him coach already. So I mean, I think that they have the upper hand. The Jackets do because of that. Yeah, watching the game last night, I just kept thinking about Torts, and you mentioned how uh, just a defensive clinic and just well coached uh just ready for that kind of a game you know toronto's paying these these guys their big time salaries and everything and Tavares and all these guys and obviously they're not supposed to get shut out let alone lose but uh i was interested going in with the whole defense versus offense aspect and now of course i i do expect toronto to really come out because i mean their season's on the line basically at this point so i just think towards gets these his guys ready for these kinds of situations so we'll see how it goes for uh game two and that leads us to Game 2. So what are your thoughts? Elaine, I'll start with you. So going into Game 2, what are you kind of thinking or looking or looking for or, you know, what's on your mind? Um, well, first of all, Wenberg needs to keep that energy he had towards the end of the game because it did change the dynamic a lot. If he can keep that going and that hustle and and his away from the puck game was really good last night. I will say that. His positioning, he knew where to be. He knew um, where, like, if the puck was not coming near him, he knew he had to cut off a lane or he had to open up a lane. And I was very proud of that aspect. But as a center, he did need to score. So 
The empty net goal was beautiful because it could have not happened. It was very real, very real chance that it would not have happened if he did not hustle and get it right on net. Because and, and he had he had passed up the earlier chance for yes an empty net goal. He passed it to Cam instead. So yes. I think yeah, he had to shoot that one. Right, and then um, another thing is that Toronto will definitely be studying the film because they don't want to get booted. In their um, in their home in their home city, they just don't. I know that some people are saying, "Oh, it's not the advantage, total advantage, if it's your own and it's the playoffs and you're the only team at home." <laughs> like, no matter what, you are truly home, and, and it's just like that pressure on them. And I think Keith is going to hit that home. So the Jackets really need to like be consistent. They need to keep it simple, but know when they need to be ballsy. They need to know when the right time is to do something fantastic. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, agree. I, I I think the like the first five minutes will be very important to yes. set the tone for the game. The Jacks have to be ready for a push from Toronto right from the start. Uh, I would like to see yeah, more aggression on offense from the Jackets. The, the chances they got were not very high-quality chances. They weren't getting in close. Um, they had some you know nice breakaways, but then the guy would throw it on net, which is good but then no one would be in position for the rebound, uh, which is really frustrating. And they need right. to clean that up because they, they can't just rely on scoring. Oh, we're going to get one goal <laughs> or, you know, one goal plus an empty net. That's right. just, that's not going to, they're not going to keep winning that way, you know, and they're not, they're not going to keep those Toronto forwards shut out for 180 minutes. That's just not going to happen either. Um, I No, especially if, if Matthews gets like pumped up and if CC calms down, <laughs> Uh, he, I mean, honestly, the best thing that Toronto can do is bench CC. Yeah. Right now, because he's clearly not in it. And that's, I know people joke and they're like, oh, that's how bad he plays all the time. It's not. That's over dramatic. He's actually can be a solid player. And if he's not playing well, if Toronto really is serious about it, they're going to put someone else in because they brought guys from the Marlies who are hungry, who are consistent, who are ready to play. And if CeCe's not ready to play, then he needs to go in. I'm not advocating for it. I would rather him, obviously, play and take more stupid penalties and do stupid things. But if Toronto really is serious. Yeah, but, but also they, you know, they don't have, they have those guys from the Marlins, but it's still not the same kind of defensive depth that the Jackets have. <laughs> they don't have the luxury that we do in terms of oh, who, we can, who we can slot in there. Right. Um, I, Which is so funny because I spent all last season saying that, like, they, the Jackets need to work on defense. And they didn't really oh, add any defenders, but the guys worked on themselves. Like Adam Clendenning worked on himself and his attitude and in the way that he reacts situations better. And the Jackets are so lucky to have him that if someone goes down, he can easily come up and learn. And I love it when they prove me wrong. And I say that right. they're never going to have well, a good defense, and they and do. <laughs> they, they, they did make the additions. From when you said that, they added Gavrikov and they mm-hmm. added Peak. True. Both those guys made a huge, huge impact. See, I didn't, here, so that, that I didn't consider adding Peak because we, I saw Peak. I personally saw <laughs> Peak in the playoffs last year for the Monsters. Um, but Gavrikov, Savvy and Gavi, like, come on. They were just meant to be together. <laughs> just a- absolute beasts, yeah. So the other thing I want to see, uh, so you, met, you talked about, you know, Matthews being hungry. Uh, the thing I really loved was the PLD line was matched up against Matthews all night. Yep. Mm-hmm. And especially the first period, they locked him down. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he got a little more chances in the second and third periods, but that was still a solid line. They're matched up all the time. Now 
the Tavares Martyr line was matched up against the Wenberg line with Felino and Atkinson. And their the shot attempt numbers there was more in Toronto's favor with that line. So I'd maybe but like they were to like give weak. some they other, were not good attempts though. Like they weren't. They were like, still, oh, here's your shot attempt. <laughs> Here you go. But my 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 issue is it meant that that line though had the puck. That's true. And so that was less time for you know, Cam to spend in the offensive zone to right. free him up to do more offensively, you know, and, and even his, his goal, which is great, but it was his first shot of the game. And by his own admission, it wasn't, it wasn't a good shot. He I, didn't expect it to go in. Yeah. He just put it on it and it took a good yeah. bounce. He said, so, I think he said he closed his eyes and just shot it. Yeah. So I, I like to maybe see that, that line opened up to do more offensively. I'd also like to see a lot more of Bemstrom and Robinson, maybe, you know, I don't know if it's giving them offensive zone starts with Riley Nash or maybe swapping in a different center from time to time. Uh, Cause I liked what I saw from both of them, but they didn't get very many minutes. But uh, I, I, but what I saw from them was really, really good. There's that one time where Robinson won a foot race for a, for a puck and got a breakaway. That was fantastic. Yes. He looked so tired after that though. Like I think he, I think he held his breath. <laughs> he was like, I got to get this. And then just forgot to breathe. <laughs> But it was it was so good. Actually, and overall, I felt like team speed. Columbus had the edge. They definitely did. Every time there was oh, a yeah. loose puck, Columbus yeah. was winning the race too. Yeah. So I'd like to see. Hopefully, we can keep that. up. I did like uh, that. Z was so seamless in his hits on Matthews. Like they were so seamless. They just happened, and they were just incredible. PD, who do you think wins tomorrow night? So uh, my prediction. Uh, God, I I hate to be on the uh, on the hook like this. I. I think maybe Toronto gets it back this time. I think I think Toronto evens it up. Um, but again, like well, I won't be surprised by any outcome. But I, I think Toronto maybe uh, finds a way to win uh, game two. I think that they're gonna win again. I, <laughs> um, I want to say that they'll win again if they keep this energy and Toronto isn't as super hungry. Like you said, the first five minutes will be very telling. So. Hopefully they win. I think that they're going to win the first one. I think it's going to be a lot tougher. I don't think it's going to be like, hey, a goal on an empty net. I think it's going to be like either a shooting, a shoot off where like both teams are constantly lighting up the goals or it's going to go to overtime. I think that the Jackets, if they just keep this energy, will win. Yes. I was also thinking about Sheldon Keith as a young coach and like, I don't know. It's just a it's such a weird situation coming in after this layoff. But can you imagine the heat he'll take just from if they don't win this series or if they lose in three or four games? But I don't know. I just think it's such a weird dynamic in general that you can't. I know that it's Toronto. It's a fishbowl, and they're going to be they're going to crucify that team if they don't win this series. But it's like not your typical series, I guess. If you know what I mean. But I just can imagine the heat that he'll face if they don't win this series, just because Toronto has has had first round issues for a while now. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if it'll go as much against the coach. Based on what I've been reading at, at comments at Pension Plan Puppets, I think more blame is maybe on the way that the team is built and the way that it's so top heavy and the way that yeah. the defense is kind of lacking. And and I think those are maybe I think the fans realize that that's more of the problem than the coaching is. I think they realize oh, yeah. that the team played a lot better under Keith than they did under Babcock. You know, I saw a comment that I appreciated that said that, you know, they wish that the you know, like $10.5 million they spent on Martyr had been spent on Jones and Wierenski instead. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that we're getting a lot more bang for our buck for, for that amount of money. It's kind of like, you know, we... Great, great point. 
It's like it, it's like uh, Columbus, you know, rather than give Bob all that money, have El, uh, Elvis and Corpusalo. So yeah, bang for your buck type of a thing. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So... Obviously, lots of hockey over the last few days. So, lots of first round action across you know the East and the West. So, PD, what were your thoughts? Just hockey is in general is back, but any specific games or surprises that you've noticed or kind of wanted to talk about? Yeah, uh, it was great having hockey back. I spent a lot of time both Saturday and Sunday watching the games. Uh, you know, catching. Parts of most of the games, and the, every every night this week, I'll be probably tuned in again. At least have it on in the background because uh, it's it's hockey. It's great hockey, and I, I we, you know we talked about this before that this would be a great idea in future seasons. Like have have days where there's six games in a day, all in a row, which is really really fun. It's also kind of cool that because of the, the situation with just two venues that. You know, everyone's watching the same games at the same time. Where our attention isn't split among you know three games going on at once. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Uh, I think. I mean, but we can admit that it would be nice if baseball didn't end up on any of those channels, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fox Sports Ohio really, really <laughs> screwed the pooch on that. And I mean, they. I mean, it's they've apologized many times, Bauer. which is good, but you know, taking forty-five minutes or whatever to to get that streaming situation resolved is. Uh, completely unacceptable. They they should have been planning for this. They should have been staffed up for this. Uh, anyway, anyway. So back to the to the other games though. Um, the I was really excited for the Hurricanes Rangers series and um, was not so much a fan of Game One. There were just way too many penalties in that game. Um, it was so great. You, you could tell you could tell <laughs> the refs had been on the layoff as well. That was and I'm glad we didn't get that in the Columbus game because that was much better for not having so many penalties. I thought it was interesting that the 12 seeds won both of their game ones, both Chicago and yeah. Montreal pulled that off. Mike Smith, um, man. Which I've got some mixed feelings. Like I'd love to see Pittsburgh lose, obviously, but I also don't want Pittsburgh to have a chance at Alexis Lafreniere. So uh, kind of mixed feelings there. I still think Pittsburgh has the edge in that series. So that that was that was interesting. Uh, what did you guys think of the, the Matthew Kachuk hit on Mark Shifley? Do you think that was a dirty hit or not? 
I would say I think it was an accident, but I know Kachuk's got a history. But, I mean, looking at that play, I just can't believe that he would – I don't think he went in thinking he was going to use the skate a certain way or anything. And I don't think at the last second he thought, oh, let me get a a whack in. I don't know. What do you think, Elaine? I mean, I – I well, when I watched it live, I was like, "Ooh, unfortunate!" And then I just kept watching it because I w- I know he has a history, and I think when you have a history in the beginning, right away, you have to separate their history from that hit at that time. And then, obviously, if it looked like it was on purpose, then you have to take their history into account. Um, but Shifley was already at a weird angle; things were already it was already like a weird. Both of them were yeah going too hard at the board and both of them were turning too weird. And it was just a, it was not like he was out to get him. And as he said, like, he's a good player. Like Shifley's a good player and it's a shame that he wouldn't be playing, you know, how many people do that on purpose. And then especially him, especially him. And then says like, Oh, well, you know, he's such a great player. And you know, it's a bunch, like, no one says that. No one does. So, and Paul Maurice did not mince words. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Eddie Olchick's take on NBC. He said that uh, mm-hmm. he felt like it was a reckless play, you know. But it, and it's one that happens a lot where guys are kind of hitting towards the backside of guys into the boards or whatever, and it can be weird things the way you're bracing for the hit, you know. But he didn't. Yeah. So I thought it was reckless, but not dirty. He didn't think that it, there was an intent to injure. It's just it was a bad a bad fall. Things went the wrong way, and I agree with that. And you know, I gotta get. I gotta give the Jets a lot of credit. Uh, you know, here early Monday afternoon, they had no Shifley and no Line A, and they managed to even up the series. So, uh, and I, I don't. I don't like Paul Maurice. You know, bitching about it being a, a dirty hit and and suggesting ill intent. Um, but I'm sure that was maybe his way of maybe pumping up his team or taking attention away from the players. But whatever went down. It worked, and they evened it up, and that was that was really cool to see. Yeah, Paul Maurice didn't mince words, but yeah, he was totally motivating or getting his team jacked up for this game. I mean, he probably does in his, I don't know, he probably does think it's what he's saying is true, but either way, he's going to defend his team and players. We all took Edmonton last week, but Chicago, well, not you, Elaine, me, <laughs> PD, and Seeds took Edmonton, but I wasn't surprised from the Blackhawks' offensive output, or at least what they could potentially do, but... Now that uh, Edmonton's going to Koskinen in for game two, I think that might maybe Chicago still finds a way. But really what I was going to say was I like the bubble aspect of the NHL really in the sense of I like how they made the arenas look. I like how they're kind of implementing each home home team quotes around home as far as like their anthem singer or the, the goal horn, goal songs, all that stuff. I like how they're making the, the arenas look. You know, it looks a little bit more natural, even sounds natural compared to maybe baseball, for instance, as far as you seeing empty seats. So I think it's just cool how the NHL is kind of making this work. And, you know, they haven't had any positive cases or any COVID related uh, positive cases. So that's obviously a good thing, too. Yeah, I think that watching the games on TV, it doesn't feel as different as I thought it would. I guess you you maybe miss a little bit of the crowd color, like after a goal or something like that. But again, like the jackets, they would have been on the road anyway, and so they wouldn't have gotten a big reaction after the goals, regardless. Um, but I feel like when the game is happening, I'm focused what's happening on the ice, and so the fact that there's no fans in the seat, it really doesn't that doesn't bother me. They've tried some different camera angles, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think overall it's it's they've done a lot of things well so far. Yeah, I wish I heard more 
of the players on ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, we have this opportunity to really hear what it's like. And you, like, when you play in some smaller barns in the AHL and they're not super packed, you can hear things. You're like, oh, you said that. <laughs> um, so I was hoping we'd have that. <laughs> you know what's funny is I've noticed the, the I guess, fake crowd on the NBC networks, but I was watching the first period of the Blue Jackets game on, well, it was on Reddit, but on the Blue Jackets official channel or, you know, Fox Sports basically. And uh, I didn't think, I don't think I heard the, the crowd noise. It sounded a little bit quieter. So I guess, I think yeah. I heard that, you know, certain networks aren't having the crowd noise, whatever, regardless of the sport. But um, yeah, and I actually, think I, pref- I, think I prefer soccer. it without the crowd noise, actually. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the cannon sound was as, as strong, but, but I, 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 feel, I don't, I almost feel like the crowd noise is more distracting when I've been watching the games on NBC. I don't need it, and, and I was worried it was going to sound too sparse without the crowd noise, but that's not, there's just, there's enough sound of the skates and the sticks and all that, that it's enough, it's enough yeah. noise, I don't need the crowd. Mm-hmm. But for baseball then, yeah. for example, yeah, I think it would feel more jarring without yeah. the crowd noise because mm-hmm. there's just so much downtime. And baseball for me is a sport, especially the regular season yeah. games, I'm not like grip watching the TV. You know, baseball is something that I have on in the background. Like I'm reading or I'm looking at my phone or I'm cooking or doing something like that. So I like having the crowd noise because it's just ambient. But with hockey, I'm focused on the game. So I don't need the extra noise. I just, the noise of the game and the announcers, that, that's enough for me. Yeah, while watching these games, I get this sort of March Madness feeling. But also ki- yeah, I kind of think about the Olympics just in the sense that it's neutral ice and not mm. each – you know, they're all sharing the same rink, essentially. Right. But like, I got Dallas and Vegas in the background on and just kind of keeping up. And it's just cool to have games on again, <laughs> basically. I yeah. mean, it's just nice. Yeah. Um. So there's like two things I wanted to touch on about the games this weekend. One, I went on to another podcast. Traitor. Traitor. Um, <laughs> you guys wouldn't, you guys said it, we were fine without me. <laughs> um. And I wanted to talk about baseball and basketball, too. So... <laughs> Um, but I went on the This Is Believeland podcast. It's another Monsters Beat reporter, James. And um, I said that Kane and Taze were going to light up <laughs> and that the Oilers were going to have a tough time. And so many Oilers came fans came into my DMs. I got an email from someone. It was like a whole page. It was a whole ass page about like why I was wrong. And I was like, seriously, watching their training camp and watching stuff, I was like, oh, this is not the Blackhawks that stopped at the pause. This is not the Blackhawks that had no chance and no right to make these playoffs. And they were awesome. And I didn't take into account um, Kubalik at all. I thought he would do well, but I didn't think he would do him and his leg would get five points. Yeah, that was insane. Because that fifth point was really Duncan Keith off of his leg. So, but also I zoned out for a second during the Wild and the Canucks game and it went dark. So I thought like when I finally started focusing, I thought maybe the game was over (laughs) and it wasn't. What happened with the lights? I don't know. I missed that part. (laughs) Like the lights just went out. I, 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 actually, I, I I fell asleep during the third period of that game, so I must have missed I, I actually had a power dip during, I think it was the wild game, so I lost like five seconds of it. But So everybody's power went out but mine. Everyone either fell asleep or their power went out but me. I was actually surprised that Minnesota got that. Didn't they shut them out last night? I should know this, but... 
Yeah. I was surprised because we were all down on Minnesota yeah. last week and we took Vancouver. And I think Vancouver can still win that series, but oh, yeah. uh, I didn't expect Minnesota. And the Arizona-Nashville game, I kept thinking about how we thought that was so boring. Uh, and Arizona-Nashville <laughs> was actually kind of interesting. We were kind of I – I had a friend over. We were watching both games kind of going back and forth. And I saw the 4-3 score, and I'm like, oh, let me go back to this game because we had Boston-Philly on also. And, oh, and Philly, first of all, Boston needs to, like, wake up if they're actually going to do something in this yeah. thing because – uh, they've looked just terrible, and Philly did their thing. So they're not as aggressive as we're used to seeing them. Like we're used to seeing the Bruins just be a bunch of a holes, basically, and they haven't been playing to that like overly blue collar, <laughs> sassy mentality. Like Marshawn seems off his game. So I don't know if it's rust or if it's just that they know that these games don't really count and they're just saving it for their actual first series, and maybe they just don't care what their seeding is. I mean, that's why I've been kind of down on the whole round-robin thing, because I, I wish there had been maybe, you know, carrying over somewhat of the records from the regular season, so, you know, it wasn't just based on these three games, whether Boston would be the first or the fourth seed. I, that's a little... I think that's discounting too much what they did in the regular season, but... Uh, yeah, but it sounds like it's going to be hard to get them to care about these games anyway, and they'll be the four seed and they'll just turn it on and wreck whoever they play then. Because I think they have right. enough experience that they can turn it oh, on yeah. when the time comes. And especially, you know, in, in Tukarask, he missed that Philly game, you know, so hopefully any you know, broke his finger in training camp. Um, I think if they rest him up so he's ready for that series. Uh, so I, I'm not counting Boston out yet in terms of making a run, but I don't think they're going to turning on during this round robin. Yeah. What's really interesting to me, what I was watching the Blue Jackets last night was I never, I mean, I was just really excited. I uh, wasn't exactly nervous. I was ready for a close game, but I kept thinking about towards, you know, in this situation, this weird situation with the pandemic and the, the pause and everything, I was like, Torts is probably one of the few coaches as a veteran who, even though no one knows how to navigate this, he would probably have sort of, something in his back pocket to pull out and just kind of have his team prepared and ready. And that's just kind of the dynamic I keep thinking about because as, as, as much as I expect the best teams on paper to probably have the, the most success, I just feel like it's, it's just ripe for any kind of randomness. And, you know, it's just kind of, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's two, there's two factors there. I think they're important that you touched upon. I, I like that during the break that Torts kept in touch with the team and would do like, was it daily quizzes or weekly quizzes or whatever? And it was about hockey concepts yeah, like and things like that. And it was like a cop competition. Yeah. And like, I think it was like Gerby that ran away with it, right? Gerby. Yeah. yeah. And so, so he, yep. he will have to do like fewer laps at training camp for, for next season, which is uh, was really cool. That's so that, cool. I think that was, that was a good way to keep the team engaged yeah. and still like thinking about hockey. And I think that what we're seeing from the Jackets here, despite this being the youngest team in the bubble, no, this it's a team not. with a lot of experience. The Hawks are the youngest. I, I, saw a, I saw a thing that said the Jackets were, in terms of their bubble roster, it was the youngest. During, during the entire Hawks game, that's all I heard, was that the Hawks were the youngest and the Jackets were like second or third. Hmm. Regardless, they're one of the youngest. Yeah. So Let's they're, check they're, they're young, but they have experience. So like... <laughs> You know, Bemstrom and Foodie are new. Robinson and Corpy have been around the playoffs but didn't play in the playoffs. But everyone else has playoff experience. You know, played in that Tampa series, played in the Boston series. So uh, so I think you can see here that they 
they know what they have to do in the playoffs. And I think that they yeah. knew how to get ready for this. And a lot of these guys that came back for phase two, they didn't just show up for training camp. They were there in June practicing with each other in small groups. And I think all of that and just being this core that has been together and this is their fourth straight year in the playoffs for a lot of these guys. And, and I think that that has paid off. That has let them flip the switch now in the time. Game. Right. And I think a lot of them, I think a lot of them have, like I wrote that article about Gerby's mindset, but I think he's not the only one that has that kind of mindset. Um, I know Torts does just like a very healthy, especially since that incident with the Canucks in Calgary. Uh, since then, I think he's really worked on that mindset and being more, I don't want to say Zen, but like Zen, but you and you see it because the whole team now kind of talks about like keeping that mindset, being positive mindset of what could happen and not beating yourself up when you do bad. And I think that's why some of the guys didn't make that bubble roster because they didn't have that. They're not quite there in that mindset. And if you're going to be in the bubble for that long without your families, you need to have that sort of mindset that like, I'm going to be scratched. I might be scratched. I might get hurt. I might be stuck here for three months without anything. And I think every single guy on that team right now has that mindset going in because coach, because the GMs, because guys like Gerby and Felino and Jones are really having them look within themselves and see what's inside of them and pulling it out to the surface. So it's helpful. And it could just be the fact that the Blue Jackets have success against blue and white teams. I don't know. <laughs> it's five straight against Tampa Bay. When I was watching that Toronto third period, I was like, God, this looks just like Tampa Bay. Even with all their skill and everything, it's just like maybe they just do better against the Atlantic Division. The Metro has been tough on them. So it's, maybe it's just nice to have a better, a different team, different. But I, I think, though, the matchup really played into, into their favor. And I, I do think they have a lot of confidence from, uh, well, I think it played into their favor from the perspective of defense versus offense, but also I think the Tampa Bay series gave them confidence too, even though we have a lot of newer players that maybe haven't had a ton of experience, but it was just a different, and I don't know how it would have played if this was a regular playoffs in front of Toronto's crowd or whatever. I don't know that really matters, but I just think on a neutral ice in this setting, it just seemed like they were ready to roll. I think what Matt Dumbo did was super brave. And uh, first of all, he did it without, he made that speech without a teleprompter. (laughs) And for me in general, like that's a, big wow moment like that all came from the heart and he memorized it I'm not gonna lie at first I was feeling very raw um I'm gonna be very open and honest right now it was going through my brain because I want I, I think that everyone when they have these discussions they need to know where everyone's standing at in the situation so for me um August 2nd was the 14th anniversary of my really good friend Joe dying over in Iraq And so when I saw him kneeling during the national anthem, at first I got kind of upset. I'm not going to lie. And typically I don't get upset about those things, but I did because of that moment I was feeling very raw. Um, But then I looked around and I saw like how uncomfortable he felt kneeling. And you think that someone who so strongly believes again, like what he's been through and what he has seen would feel a bit more confident with kneeling. And he didn't look super confident. He looked very unsure and he looked very alone. And that snapped me right out of it because it was like, this is a very real thing. And 
he had two other players who were black standing next to him, but no one else was kind of around him. And then when his team played, he was the only one that lifted their fist. And while I say that, yes, you have every right to kneel, you have every right to not kneel, at some point you have to look and see that your teammate is hurting and struggling and it maybe even put a hand on their shoulder or your arm around them and they didn't do that and they let him do it alone. And then after the opening game, you, there was a bunch of alumni, not just one player, but there was one player I kind of got into it with on social media, but saying that like, he's not really black. So it's just performative and, and saying things like that. And it's like, this is part of the problem is you're trying to negate what's happening in hockey. And we've had people on leading up to interviews who, you know, this is a very real thing that happens in hockey. Um, I think part of the reason why a lot of players don't step out and don't speak out is because no hockey is notorious for being mind your P's and Q's. Don't make waves from all aspects. And so I think some of these guys are struggling um, but at some point they have to look at their teammate who's being so raw and so upset and say, I'm going to do this with you, or I'm going to support you. I'm going to stand next to you. We're going to huddle around you. You don't have to go through it alone. And so much of it has felt like they were alone. And I don't normally speak out about this stuff, but like, I just feel like it's important that we recognize that the NHL did a lot of great things, but they still have a really long way to go. Because they're just now starting it. It's not like they've been working on it for years. Yeah, and I, I think there's been a lot of focus on the the way these messages and these symbols have been presented. And, and I worry that spending too much time focusing on that takes away from the message and takes away from, you know, what actually needs to be changed yeah. and, you know, the cultural shift that needs to happen. But so, But I think the fact that these demonstrations are happening is a start. It's good that we're having the start. It's good that there's, you know, the, the signs up in the corner of the game that says, you know, we're skating for, um, for black lives or whatever, you know, like that, that's, it's a good start. And I think and it's a huge start for the NBA. Yeah. Let's and I, I think though, that is you, huge. It's big. What we really want obviously is for more racial equality in the sport, for there to be, you know, no more tolerance for um, the, you know, language thrown around towards players of colors. We don't want these players to feel so uncomfortable in their locker rooms, to, to feel afraid of speaking out against their teammates that are doing these things. We don't want, you know, parents of players shouting out slurs <laughs> during, you know, youth games, you know, but, and I think the problem is we won't know that that has happened for years now. And, you know, this day and age, we want things immediately. And we're, we're just, we're not going to be able to see that kind of meaningful change immediately. That's going to take time. But hopefully this is the start of that change. And in a few years time, we will have seen a lot of improvement in that regard. And we can point to this, okay, this is the moment where it starts. Right. And I think pushing the players to speak out in post game is tough because in post game, guys are trying to be cognizant of not going off the handle or not saying something that's going to get all over social media because 
That's what hockey has always been. You have to be cognizant of what is going to be said. I feel like hockey is the only sport I can think of that really holds things close to the cuff, even after a big game. Like they, even after winning the Stanley Cup, they're still like very close to the cuff compared to other teams. And so it is going to take a while. It will take a while. But just that one little moment of being like, I got you. Yeah. But then, and also when Nazem Kadri had some statements and he mentioned, oh, and the NHL still needs to do a lot more. Uh, but when the NHL posted the video of his press conference, and they it cut off that part. So that's. And that's why it's an issue that. Media isn't in the bubble because the NHL is controlling what goes out. Right, right. Uh, of course, you know, I, I'm torn on that because I agree that independent media is able to report on the hard things that the NHL doesn't want to get out. But from a practical standpoint, you know, I don't know how you let more in without the bubble be, becoming, you know, unwieldy or large. And you also have the NHL playing gatekeeper. Like, do they limit the number of media that can get in? Then they have to choose which media gets in and which outlets are they favoring. And, you know, so there's practical issues, but I understand we have to make sure going forward that there's still a strong independent media presence always. I mean, maybe it'd just be like, okay, so places like, just examples, like SB Nation, Athletic, Bleacher Report, are they still doing stuff? But like those, those kind of places take one or two from each one, and leave it up to the site to decide who goes. And then have them write, and then people can filter to them, this is the person I want to ask a question to. You know, like, in these uncertain, weird times, (laughs) we have to make things work, and I know we can't have media from every place, but the bubble is so good for the NHL compared to all the other bubbles. The bubble is so good. Yeah, it's been working for sure. Yeah, and they can easily make it like media stays in one hotel and then they're still doing like the Zoom thing in another room, but they're there and they still can like take photos. They can do the like, I feel like there's other ways they can do it, but we're doing it better than most of the other leagues, especially the MLB. So I'm not going to complain too much. (laughs) Yeah, I was watching the Torts Presser last night on Twitter, just a video of it. And I was seeing how they were doing that as far as just, you know, Hedger and Metzl and everybody uh, doing it through Zoom, and they'd probably all log into some specific website, media website, and you know get their questions across. So at least Torch was able to have his fun interactions with every media member. <laughs> no, that's true. Or God, I love Austin Matthews. I'm sorry, but like the fact that he called Steve Simmons out and then still answered and still answered the question. The question. Yeah, he, yeah, he, that was handled really, really well. Really well. I just and I felt like it was. Poignant and needed to be said because I think that it was wrong that he divulged that information. Right. And players should be allowed to speak up. Like if I say something and I know I have, I would love it if a player was like, hey, why did you say that about me? That was uncalled for. I would be okay with it, especially if I was completely out of line. Like those are, you know, media, we're not untouchable. We're not untouchable. We don't get to say or do whatever we want and there not be consequences. So if a player needs to call someone out because the team refuses to sit down with someone and talk to someone about how wrong it was, then that's what needs to happen, even to me. (laughs) So that's going to just about wrap it up for this week. But obviously, big times ahead for the Jackets tomorrow, 4 o'clock. 
the Leafs Jackets game number two. So you can catch that game on NBCSN and Fox Sports Ohio. And obviously, it's a big... If you could put them up 2-0, or if they can go up 2-0 on Toronto, I, I can't remember the specific number, but it was like in the all-time best-of-five series when they used to have them all the time, it was like 80% of teams that went up 2-0 won their series. Maybe it was even more than that, so... I think it was 80% that won the yeah. first game. Ended up yeah, winning. so in a 2-0, it's almost impossible. The Caps were like the only team to come back, I think, to uh, come back and win a five-game series. But anyway, big big, uh, big game tomorrow. We'll definitely be talking about that more next week. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and the Howlin' Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. Check her out at AngelaPearlie.com. And you should also check out Angela Pearlie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at cbjcannon and comment on jacketscannon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.